Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. It's a day for us to come together and praise the Lord, rejoice in all that He's done for us, and hear from His Word. And so if you'd open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. You know, just a, a couple announcements I want to make. Uh, women's prayer is right after the first service at 1015 in the large Sunday school room downstairs. And um, also we have a sign-up sheet uh, in the main office because this Friday we're having a uh, movie night and uh, for the church. And it's Kirk Cameron's uh, movie on Connect. And I know a lot of people might be thinking, I don't want to go see that. It's all about electronics and cell phones and all that. You know, they're all good. Well, they are good things. And I don't think the movie's about that. It's about the abuse of it in in the sense that it breaks down the family. And how many times have you been in a situation where you're you're sitting with a group of people talking and maybe four of them are like, they're not connected. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, modern technology, but we need to be connected with one another and with the Lord you know, more than we are with our devices. And um, it's so easy for us to say, well, that's just, you know, I don't want to get into that kind of thing. Well, it really is a problem. There are many problems that can come into uh, our lives and even into the Christian community that we don't even realize what it's doing. And so I'd really encourage you to come to bring your family, your children to this uh, movie uh, night. It's called Connect. And um, we're also going to be having pizza. That's why we want a sign-up sheet because I have to know how many I have to make, so. (laughs) Not really, anyway. And also, um, there's still a chance, if you want to sign up for the Prophecy Conference, uh, which is the 24th and 25th at Finger Lakes Calvary Chapel, and uh, we have a sign-up sheet out there, please put down whether you want a room for just Friday night or for Thursday and Friday. The the conference starts Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning, and it goes till Saturday at 4 and uh, great speakers are going to be there. It's worth going to if, you, if you're able to. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the power of your Holy Spirit and his ability to work in our lives, and Lord, to change us where we need to be changed, to strengthen us where we need to be strengthened, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And we ask, Father, that we would hear from you in a special way this morning, and you would truly empower us, give us the dunamis, the ability, the the power to do the work of the ministry that you've called us to do. And so, Father, come and anoint, use me to minister, to serve these, your people, I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. You know, I was having a a crazy thought. I always have crazy thoughts. But I was talking to um, actually several people this morning. It just happened to come up and we're talking about the whole aging process. You know, you get older and all of a sudden you have aches and pains you didn't even know were possible to have and you have this problem and that problem. But, you know, I was thinking, you know, my mind goes in a weird way, and I was thinking aging is a testimony of our creation and of our God and of the fact that man sinned against God because what was the curse of sin was death. Now, it wasn't talking about instantaneous death, but just the aging the, the process that we now as human beings would die. Because if you really think about it, you know, the laws of thermodynamics, which we really, you know, are under and apply to us, you go, you know, from order to chaos. You know, you go from, you know, being perfect and, and, and to falling apart. Where if you were really following um, 
you know, in evolutionary paradigm, it would be you'd go from chaos to perfection. And so in reality, as time went on, we should be getting better and better. But we're not, are we? And so it just proves to us that this body is just a vehicle. Because if God has given us his soul and spirit, then that is eternal. It's immaterial. It can't die. And because of God's great love for us, he didn't want us to die, as we use the term, in our sin, where we perish and are separated from God forever. And so he gave us a gift. And that gift was Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so when you're born again, brothers and sisters, something truly happens inside your spirit. Scripture says it's quickened. That's an old word, English you know, word that means made alive. Our spirit is quickened. We're made alive in Christ. And that's why Jesus could say, I am. And of course, that's interesting because God's name is I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me never dies. I can stand here and proclaim to all of you, I have eternal life. I never die. Even when this body, and sometimes I think it might be any day, but even when this body falls to the ground, I will be alive in the presence of the Lord that quickly. And then one day this perishable body will put on the imperishable as it tells us in, in Corinthians and we're going to have our glorified bodies and be raised up to be with the Lord forever and ever. What hope and promises we have in the Lord. Now this portion deals specifically with idolatry and it really really relates to what I've just been talking to you about because if you understand God's love and purpose for us, God is love, that's his nature. And his purpose, he wishes for none to perish. His desire is for everyone to come to the saving knowledge that he has offered us in Jesus Christ. That's his desire. But Satan, it tells us, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Scripture tells us Satan is a deceiver, even disguising himself as an angel of light. In other words, a wonderful religious person. But it's all for the reason of pulling us away from the truth. The truth that is in Jesus Christ. That only in him can we be born again. And that's the reason this portion that we're reading about idolatry in Exodus is so important to us. Because as we go through this portion of scripture, we're going to find that there's a lot of idolatry out there. Maybe not bowing down to statues and icons, but there's a lot of idolatry out there. And so, as I said, this portion deals specifically with idolatry. And where most today would not necessarily be bowing down to images or statues, many worship at the idols of self-gratification, which comes in many forms. So often, the most important thing to all of us is self-gratification. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I want to feel content. I, 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 I. And that's bowing down. Now, the problem is that you can't worship the Lord and self at the same time. Do you know that? You can't worship the Lord and self at the same time. In fact, turn with me quickly to the Gospel of Mark. It's easy to find. Matthew, Mark, second of the Gospels. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 through 35. Mark chapter 8 and verses 34 through 
35. Now it says whoever. It starts off. Whoever. That's anyone. He's inviting everyone. Whoever desires to come after me, Jesus is saying, let him deny what? Himself and take up his cross, die to self, and follow me. And then he goes on to say, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. In other words, I just want life. I want to live forever. I want this and I want that. I want all the things this world has to offer. Whoever desires to save his life, it tells us, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Lord, take my life as whatever it might be. Take my life and use me that I might minister to the lost of this world that they would come to know you. Because we have to understand as far as evangelism is concerned, there's a real urgency. At least there should be in our hearts you know, today. Number one, we never know when we're going to die. You know, you look at me and you say, well, yeah, I can see him dying, you know, pretty quick. But the reality is, even for a young person, you never know when we're going to die. And so we have to realize that at death, our fate is sealed. There's no second chance. We have chance after chance after chance after chance in this life but there's no second chance after death. So there's an urgency here that we need to come to know Jesus Christ, to have that assurance that you may know. First John tells us that you may know you have eternal life. It's not a guess. Well, I hope I'll go to heaven. Well, then you don't know. Well, maybe I will. Well, then you don't know. That you may know you have eternal life. Absolute assurance that you're going to heaven. And so we need to evangelize and to share that truth with the people around us. This world is getting crazier and crazier. And then on top of that, we have no idea when the rapture is going to occur, but it's probably going to be quickly. You know, there's so many things going on in the Middle East. I mean, how can anyone look at prophecy such as Ezekiel 38? And it lays out a whole geographical setup in the Middle East, of where all these nations are going to be coming against Israel. And, of course, Israel, you know, last night just bombed Damascus and wiped out two more Hamas, uh, uh, you know, weapon sites. And so all this is happening. And how do we look at that and we say, well, that's just coincidence. Do you know what the, I don't know how many of you do factorials, but the coincidence of that is there's no coincidence. It's, there's no coincidence. It is absolutely the Word of God and so, therefore, there's an urgency because the Lord's going to take this church out of the world. And so you might share your faith with people who have no interest in what you're saying, but all of a sudden when you're gone, and you're going to be as a believer one day if it is time for the rapture, they're going to be thinking, wow, what that person said is true. There's going to be all kinds of explanations why we are gone. But the only explanation will be that the Lord has taken us. Now, we have to realize that <clears throat> the first creation came under judgment, right? But it is in the new creation that we're saved and freed from all judgment. And this is why we need to receive the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to stop trying to offer up our own sacrifices. Well, if I do this, well, if I do that... 
Well, you can do this and you can do that, but it'll avail you nothing. But if you receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're born again. You're changed. You're a different person. And uh, there's a, that's the reason that we need to have that willingness to share our faith with those around us. So we're in Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you, you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen. In every place, listen to this, in every place where I have, uh, where I have recorded where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. When you're born again, he records his name in our heart. Where's your name? His name's recorded. I belong to Jesus. And that's why we worship him and he alone. Verse 25. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. That means dressed or worked. In other words, when you form it and shape it with your tools and with your hands. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may be exposed on it. Now, these people, you understand, came out of Egypt. Where it was steeped in idolatry and the worship of false gods. In other words, they worshipped the creation rather than the creator. That's what idolatry is. And this is so true today. You have many people that worship nature. I, I worship the goddess Gaia, you know. And then you also have the worship of humankind. And you have, uh, you know, the worship of things. You know, people just worship all kinds of stuff. But the reality is there's only one who's worthy of our praise and worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else we have is simply a gift. Anything else we have we can be thankful for and even praise God for, but it's just a gift. But the only one to be worshipped is the Lord. Now, the altar that was prescribed in this portion of Scripture for the children of Israel to worship at was uh, that they might offer their sacrifices to the Lord. And the thing is, he doesn't want them to offer their sacrifices at any other altar than the one he had the children of Israel built. You know why? He will not share his glory with another. God will not do that. In fact, you're in Exodus, go ahead a bit to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42 Isaiah 42, and go to verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. This is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. You know, people might not bow down to idols or statues or other images, but they bow down to religion, to politics, to education, to stature, even to beauty. We worship at the feet of beauty. And so we have to realize that as believers, we need to keep our heart pure 
from all of these encroachments of our attention and of our worship and just worship He alone. Now, many today have a mixture, I, I believe, of true faith and idolatry, but it's a mixture that can never blend. You know, have you ever taken a little experiment you can do with your kids? You take a jar and you fill it up halfway with water and you fill it halfway up with cooking oil and you put the top on it and you shake it and shake it and shake it and when you let it sit, it still separates. It can't, it can't mix. They can't mix. And so we have to understand self and our worship of the Lord just doesn't mix. It just doesn't mix. We have to give all of our, all of our worship to him. Now, it's never, ever about religion. People get so confused with that. It's about relationship. And I know it, it might seem like just a, you know, some little you know, technique that we use in order to get people's attention, but it really is true. When I tell people, I'm not religious. I'm not religious at all. I hope I'm not religious at all. Because religion is man's attempt to reach to God. Man has no ability to reach to God. If man could reach to God on his own, then Jesus need not have come, right? The law would have been enough. But God reached down to man through Jesus Christ. And that's relationship. That's relationship. I mean, think about husbands and wives. You don't just want some kind of a, an agreement, some kind of a contract. You want relationship. God wants relationship with us. Man-made rituals and doctrines only drive men further from intimacy with God. It'll never draw them closer. You know, you can have all kinds of doctrines and all kinds of religious beliefs that you want to cling to. And, and, and especially, you know, if it doesn't match up with Scripture, it's never going to draw you closer to God, just separate you from Him. If we need anything else but Him we're going to find ourselves worshiping at the feet of idols. It's never God plus anything. It's God. God alone. <clears throat> you know, there are more warnings in Scripture about spiritual adultery, spiritual adultery, than in any other sin in the Bible. In fact, I would like you to turn to Second Corinthians with me, chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 2 through 4. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians comes right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Listen to what the Lord is saying. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And that's what he's, he's, he's pouring out his heart to them. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. It's not talking about a physical virgin at this point. It's a spiritual virgin where you have no one but him. He's your only God. But I am afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion of Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He's telling them, people come with all these different doctrines, all these different teachings, and you just put right up with it easily enough. And 
the, the point Paul's making is you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. Because we can't wink at false teaching and false teachers. We can't just wink, say, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. You know, uh, you think of the ministry of Dave Hunt. Many of us have known him personally. And uh, the, the just many books that he, he wrote before, he, you know, he's with the Lord now. And um, his ministry wasn't an angry ministry. It wasn't a judgmental ministry. He was just exposing false teachings that were coming into the church. He's not, he wasn't concerned about false teachings out there in the world. You know why? There's always been false teachings in the world. Always, there always will be false teachings in the world. But he was concerned about what was coming into the church. And so many times we just wink at things and say, oh, that's no big deal. I don't know. I mean, maybe you've never done this. And maybe it's just because I'm older. But there are times that I've had those opportunities where I'm sitting and just contemplating on the Lord and the things of God. And I'm asking myself, how many things have I just accepted as being natural and normal and no big deal that really are? Things that years ago I would have never done, I would have never accepted. And I think it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. How much is there that we're just... You know, you guys all have heard this analogy probably 5,000 times, so this would be 5,001. If you take a frog, I don't know how many of you have frogs just hanging out around your house, but if you take a frog and you, you take a, a pot of, 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 of uh, cool water on your stove and you put the frog in the pot of cool water, the frog just swims around, swims around, then you turn the heat on. And the frog just keeps swimming around, it gets hotter, he keeps swimming around, and finally... The frog boils to death. It'll die. But if you take a pot of water that's already boiling and you put a frog in it, it leaps right out. The point is, he gradually gets used to the heat until it comes to the place that it consumes him. And I just wonder how many things we gradually just start accepting and, and just thinking is normal. And it's consuming this world. How can we look at our nation and see the things that are going on? I mean, the things that are going on are absolutely bizarre in this world and in our country, whom we would consider as probably one of the last bastions for Christianity, but there are things happening in this country that are just devastating. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You know, things that just are, make no logical sense. I mean, in your driver's license, you put an X that you're neither male nor female. Well, the one thing, I'm, I, I was a science major, and the one thing I know is if I take a sample of your DNA, you're either male or female. You're not going to be, well, I don't know. I haven't decided. Oh, look, I got a reading, and it says he doesn't know. <laughs> no, either you are or you aren't. And so the reality is, not only that, but just the way sin is permeating our nation and sin is permeating our world. And, and you know, you read these stories and sometimes you wish you didn't even, you know, why, do I, why am I reading this? And uh, just violence and, and immorality and, and, and just all of this paganism. I mean, when you think of, not all, but most of the Hollywood crowd, not that, it's a crowd I hang out with at all. At least I haven't for no. Uh, not a, but you think about it and how immoral they are and how really sick they are. 
They really are. They're, they're, they're sick, and I'm not just talking about a little sick in the head. They're sick spiritually. I mean, they have no joy in life. Nothing they have really brings them any pleasure. You know, this one's divorcing this one, and this one's going to that one. This one's divorcing this one, and this one's doing this, and this one's finding out that they're bisexual, and this one's finding out. And all this kind of stuff that's going on, and yet they want to tell us how we should live and how we should think. I had a quote years ago. I'm, I'm talking about years ago, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago. I can't remember how long ago. And it was at that time the, the director of CBS, the president of CBS. And uh, CBS at that time was the largest, um, you know, media for TV. It was larger than NBC and ABC. It was CBS at that time. And anyway, the president or director of CBS, I can't remember what his title actually was, is he said, on our programming, we don't portray life as it is. We portray life as we want it to be. And think about it. I mean, how how many TV shows would, would make it today? Like, for instance, Father Knows Best. That was the number one show. Or make room for daddy. I mean, how many shows would would make it like that today? Leave it to Beaver. Hello, Mrs. Cleaver. (laughs) You know? How many shows would make it like that today? But that's what's happening. So, we have to realize that the bondage and the baggage of religion and all these different philosophies of life they need to be cast aside because it interferes with our intimacy with the Lord. He alone deserves our praise and worship. Because the purpose of an altar was for sacrifice. And the sacrifice that was given was to be for the forgiveness of sin. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, if you take notes, Hebrews 9:22. in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Listen to this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus had to die to fulfill the law and must die again. We must die in order to fulfill our redemption. Jesus died to fulfill the law, right? He did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And the law said a blood sacrifice had to be given for sin. And he came to satisfy that. But then we have to die to self and live for Christ for our own redemption. Now, the first altar, the one we're talking about that was built here and then eventually the one in in the uh, tabernacle and then the the temple, uh, the first uh, altar was actually looking forward to a second altar, an altar in the shape of a cross on which the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, would be given. And not only... You know, he didn't have to die for his own sin because Jesus Christ was perfect and without sin. He died for our sin. The only reason Jesus Christ died in that cross was for our sin. He need not have died for himself. He had to die for our sin that we might have the the fullness of life and be born again. In Hebrews chapter 9, in fact, turn to this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Excuse me. Hebrews 9, go to verse 24. Hebrews 9, 24. 
I should have told you to keep a marker in Hebrews. We keep going back to it. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Verse 25. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all. It's not once and for all. He appeared once for all. That's all of us, for all people at the end of the age, ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. In other words, anyone who calls upon his name, he takes away their sin. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He's talking about the rapture here. Obviously, uh, who are waiting for him? Unbelievers? No. He's going to come a second time, and that salvation is not salvation of our souls. That's already occurred when we committed our life to Jesus Christ. It's our salvation out of this world before God's judgment comes. There's no way we can look at the world today and not realize it's ripe for God's judgment. God has to judge this world because he is love, and love requires justice, and justice requires judgment. He has to judge this world. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, verse, verse 1, it says this. Talking is he, and in your Bible it's a capital H because it's talking about Jesus Christ. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's no one in this entire world that can't call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. And have his blood atoning sacrifice wipe away all sin. In the same way, we are to offer our lives as a sacrifice to Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, listen to what Paul writes uh, to the church at Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He did it all for us, that we might live again for him. And remember what we read in Hebrews. His sacrifice was given once and for all. Christ doesn't have to die again and again and again. He already did it. It's done with. And the reason that we know Christ could only die once on that cross is why? Because he was resurrected. If he's resurrected, he can't die again. If he had to die again, he'd have to be resurrected again. Over and over. Do you see my point? He died, it tells us, once and for all. And so we have to make sure that we, we can't be continuing to re-crucify Christ. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, listen, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know what reasonable means? It's the minimal. The minimum thing you can do for the Lord is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here I am, Jesus. What do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? God, I want to serve you. And understand 
For instance, if you're a surgeon, guess what? You have the ability, the capability, and the authority and the skill to use that scalpel. You don't want me to stand over you with a scalpel in my hand. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to realize that Jesus Christ has filled us with his Holy Spirit and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have that ability to take that sharp scalpel of salvation and apply it to the hearts of the unbeliever that they might realize, I need Jesus. I need to be born again. I need to be his. Now, the purpose of offering yourself as a sacrifice is that you may be consumed by the Lord. The Lord never expected us to lie on the altar, not in the literal sense you understand, but in a metaphorical sense. The Lord planned in us to lie on the altar to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to him. You don't keep jumping up off the altar. And the very purpose of putting yourself on the altar is that you would be put to death. And until this old man is put to death, this new man can't rise up. We are a new creation, Scripture tells us in Jesus Christ. The old has passed. Behold the new. Are we new? You know, it's one thing to, you know, I've been sharing this again. I used to share this years ago. But it's so important. I, I really think we need to hang on to this. I call it the three C's. There are many people that get convicted of their sin. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Boy, I know that. And there, there are some people who then even get convinced that Jesus is the way. Jesus died for our sins. But that is not enough to believe. You then have to be converted. You have to get on that altar and die. That he might raise you up in new creation. Now the problem is, the Bible says we're to take up our cross every day and follow him. You know why? Because the old man always wants to be resurrected. The old man always wants to come back. And so every day we say, Lord, I just commit my life to you. I want to die to you and serve you with all my heart and soul. And also it's interesting that this altar was uh, not to be made of dressed stone. In other words, the workmen of other people's hands. Because the minute man puts his hand to anything, he defiles it. Because you see... If we had man-made altars, it's like religion. You have man-made altars, well then you have this group would try to make a more beautiful altar than the other group. And this group would not like to make an altar even more beautiful. And then we would start bragging about how many people come to our altar. And then we would start bragging about, well, there's a whole lot more money given at my altar and more sacrifices than at your altar. You get the point I'm making. And uh, when I was reading this portion of scripture and thinking about this, I was considering the fact that um, the church I grew up in, and I went to church regular. I went to Sunday school as a kid, went to church regular, never heard salvation, never heard about the plan of salvation ever one single time. And um, we had, it was a beautiful church. We had a stained glass window in our church there, actually more than one, but this one main one in the center. And I'm not joking. That stained glass window would... If, we, if you wanted to buy it today, it would cost more than this church in our parsonage. Do you understand how expensive those are? And it's just put into ornamentation. 
look at how beautiful our church is. Well, that's not the point. How's your heart? Is your heart cleansed? Are you born again of the Spirit? Are you living for Christ? Because anything that takes attention from the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is idolatry. Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, it says this, For I resolve, listen, for I resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't want to know anything else except that. I don't want to know anything else but the Bible. It's a wonderful thing. In fact, I was listening to... Um, I'm trying to think of who it was. Oh, it was, um, I, we found online a video of a, a, a prophecy conference that Bill Gallatin spoke at a, f- a few weeks ago. And he was talking about the fact that there are a lot of good Christian books that are written that are worth reading. But he said the only thing you can rely on is the Bible. A lot of times Christian books are just man's opinion. What does the Bible say? I mean, do we spend as much time, you know, studying and pouring over the Word of God as we do this book or that book or this philosophy or that philosophy? The only one thing that matters, and that's the Word of God. And if you think this is a boring book, you've never read it. You know, Vi and I have been reading through First and Second Samuel and First Kings, you know, um, in our evening time together, and it never gets boring. I mean, you're reading, and you know what's next because you've read it so many times, but you're, and every time you're like, <laughs> you know, you're all into it because it's such a beautiful book. Why is it? Because Scripture tells us it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It can even divide between the thoughts and intentions of our heart. You know, we think we're going, doing this for this reason. The Lord's showing us, no, we're doing it for this reason. And when it talks about not having our nakedness exposed, you might be thinking, what in the world was that about? Well, it's our flesh being involved in worship, putting our flesh in the place of the Spirit. The thing we have to realize is this. Worship, it tells us in Scripture, is in spirit and in truth. Truth is the Word of God. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth is in the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And he is the word of God. So that is the truth. But how can we respond to this truth? Only by our spirit. Your intellect might give you an ability to memorize scripture and to have different you know, hermeneutics that you've really developed and so forth. But the only way you're really going to understand this book is your spirit. We have to worship him in spirit and we have to worship him in truth. But so often today, people are looking for churches that are more flesh than worship, that are more emotion than spirit. And we can't do that. Our church is to be simple. You know, people have often said, this is such a cute, simple place. And I think in my heart, praise God. Because our worship is nothing, has nothing to do with this place. It has everything to do with who and whom we're worshiping. You understand. That's what it's all about. And so I encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, if there's anyone here who has never committed their life to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and have been born again of the Spirit, don't leave today without talking to someone. Talk to me. 
Talk to one of the elders. Talk to a mature Christian that's sitting by you. Know that you're, know that you're saved. You know, um, there's, I don't like most bumper stickers. I think actually they're stupid. But there are some bumper stickers I really like. Like the one bumper sticker that you see once in a while in the back of a car that I love is, goes like this. Don't be caught dead without Jesus. You don't want to be caught dead without Jesus. Father, we come before you in, in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this free gift of salvation and the promises that we have in your word. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that the things that we have shared this morning would really burn into the hearts of everyone here and that we would be encouraged in all your ways. And I give you thanks, and I thank you for these people, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.